Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. And uh, please, if you can, on social media where you find Frontline TV or the front line with Joe and Joe, particularly on YouTube and Facebook, uh, like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell, do anything that can help us. We really appreciate it. And as always, please keep us in your prayers. And today... Uh, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by author Andrew Willard Jones, and we're going to be discussing his recent book, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics. Uh, now, for those of you who are not familiar with Andrew Jones, uh, he is the director of Catholic Studies at Franciscan University of Steubenville. He is the author of Before Church and State, a study of social order in the sacramental kingdom of St. Louis IX, and a founding editor of the journal New Polity. Now, this is what R.R. Reno, editor of First Things Magazine, had to say about his new book. Quote, the two cities is among the best general histories of the church written since Vatican II. Jones ends with an ambitious interpretation of the political and cultural challenges facing Christians in the postmodern West, a must-read, close quote. Andrew Willard Jones, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. <clears throat> uh, we always uh, begin, Andrew, with the prayer, because all good things start with a prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Son, Spirit, Spirit, amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, 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 that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired, inspired by this confidence, we fly to you, to you virgin, of virgins, our mother. mother. To you we, to come, you we come before, before we stand, stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, Mother of the Word incarnate, despise, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer, hear and answer us. us. Amen. St. Dominic, pray for, pray for us. us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So let's dive right into it, Andrew. Okay. Uh, modernity's original myth is human progress is overcoming religion. We clearly see that today. Mm -hmm. In particularly, they're attacking Christianity directly i can't even say it's indirectly and that the world itself is fundamentally secular i mm -hmm. would disagree with that as well um speak to this myth and why is it just that a myth sure sure so so the, the, i think the basic sort of image that modernity has of history of its own history right is that the pre-modern world is a world that the world exists and then it has this sort of parasitic, supernatural, superstitious, religious thing that's sort of preying on top of it, right? And then the moderns think that what they've done peeled that layer away, right? Peeled that religious layer away and revealed what was always really there, which was the sect, right? Which was the thing that was being oppressed or the thing that was being sort of... Uh, so, 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 you know, you think about the, the narrative of modernity, where it's this movement from from tyranny to freedom, superstition to to uh, you know to, to rational thought, right? From ignorance to science, they have this whole narrative of progress, and all of that is attached to this idea of peeling away a, a, an unnecessary religious layer, right? That was on top of the world. In fact, <clears throat> what's actually the case is not that at all. What's actually the case is that the world itself from the very beginning, like from Genesis, we know this, right? From the very beginning is created as a world that is made to be in communion with God, right? So if what we mean by religion is merely an orientation towards the divine, the totality of the cosmos is oriented towards the divine from the very beginning. And so what happens in the fall is not is not a fall into secularity 
right? That's not what the Bible says. What happens in the fall is a fall into idolatry, right? Into slave temple states. You see what I'm saying? So the idea that there's there's any sort of realm where there isn't religion in the sense of an orientation towards the divine is is a is a mistaken and foolish notion. That's not the case. So even though the moderns assert that they're creating the secular, which we what we as Christians have to observe and realize is that the secular is not a possibility, right? So when you attempt to peel Christianity away, what you're going to get is a return to superstition, not not some sort of rational, secular, sort of technocratic utopia or something like that. And don't we see that, like, you know, in uh, you, you mentioned uh, before the show, you come from the Pacific Northwest. I have a brother that lives out there. We live near New York City. It's very secular. You see people talking about celebrating the the summer solstice. I mean, I see this. You see this even in the tattoos that people wear. We have like an innate desire for something spiritual. And people, once you you secularize a culture, they look to the superstitious. Just to be honest with you, it's almost like a pagan. Well, it is. It's not almost. It is. It is. I mean, that's what the secular is, right? So, so the pagan pagan societies don't have transcendence. Okay, so this is this is it's not like everyone has a transcendent principle, whether you like it or not. Christianity is transcendent. God is transcendent. And that changes everything. We can talk about that in a, in a second if you want. But paganism is the denial of the transcendent. So like the gods of ancient paganism are in the world. They're just really, really powerful. Right. And so they're scary. They're very powerful beings within the world. And so you, you they're comfortable, they're capricious, they have they have their, their own wills and you have to placate them and manipulate them and you're frightened of them they're the powers of the world and the return then uh, or the the, the 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 um the exile of the transcendent makes way for the return of those sorts of powers right which is the return of fear of anxiety of tension right and which is exactly of course what we see right this mm -hmm. is exactly one of the ways you characterize modernity so it's not that they're going to have a god one way or the other Christianity has God. <laughs> what they have are gods, little g's, which are which are powers, things that are scary that are operating in the world that are beyond their control. Mm -hmm. right? And this, I think, you do see in in modernity. Right now, people scared of things that they don't control, big systems that are out of their hands, things they can't understand why they're behaving the way they are, but you have to do A, B, and C in order to placate them. Right. Right. What bothers me, Andrew. <laughs> What, what what bothers me about a lot of the um uh the, these the, these folks let's say these secularists modernists they want to peel back that layer as you said but what, but it really just kind of like in my gut that really annoys me is that but they claim what they're what they're separating us from is that superstition you're talking about yet it was the, yet it was the Catholic Church just to give our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network and please Andrew correct me if I'm wrong okay but this is a book essentially about history um. Mm -hmm. The church is the one, let's say, with Thomas Aquinas, who resurrected Greek philosophy and brought it in. Well, Augustine did also, okay? Mm -hmm. In other words, the value that the church has placed on philosophy, the introduction of the scientific method to Western civilization came from the Catholic church and more, moreover, the Catholic worldview. Institutions that these same secularists take for granted, like universities and hospitals that were bequeathed to Western civilization by the Catholic church. That's what annoys me more than anything is that these secularists and modernists, they build their foundation on, on really on sand at the end of the day, but all the things they take for granted, well, that was given to them by the, that same Catholic church that they detest, quite honestly. What's your view on that? Well, that's right. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. And that's the reason why the enlightenment project of unaided human reason couldn't sustain itself and has collapsed into postmodern superstition because it was built ultimately on the inertia of Christianity. Right. So it was built like the, the, the sort of enlightenment, disinterested reason, rationalist conception was built on a universe that had already been rid of the gods, right, of the of the powers that were unpredictable. It had already been reduced to a mind, a rational mind, the mind of God that had ordered the world and that then human beings as participate participants in that rationality as rational beings, our minds are capable of perceiving, understanding, manipulating the world in a way that we are 
you know, in a way in which we understand it in its natures, so we're not scared of it. It's beneath us, not above us. <laughs> that is that is what comes from Christianity. Now, you could culturally, I think, what happens historically is that you eradicate the doctrinal components of Christianity, but maintain the basic cosmology, right? The basic understanding of the universe. But that's doomed to fail. I mean, that might last 100 years, 200 years. And that's the sort of, I think, sort of secularist fantasy that they had, that they were going to be able to do this. But what actually happens when you get rid of the transcendent principle is the return of unpredictable power, right? Power comes to dominate again. And that is what, and that's what we're really seeing. So, so for example, a great example for me growing up in Seattle, outside of Seattle, when I was growing up, um, I, one of the things that characterized the culture was a sort of moral relativism, right? So you do you, I do me, everyone just makes up their own truth, this kind of thing. And it was very morally permissive and more, you know, that was, that was just the general climate. Now it was obvious that that was a impulse that was warring against traditional Christian morality, right? It had like an opponent. And that, and so its opponent against Christian morality was this sort of relativism. Now things have dramatically changed, right? So Christianity has been more or less defeated out there, right? <laughs> and so what you have now, I mean, I was just I was just watching a sporting event that was taking place in Seattle, and there was a huge billboard, huge billboard in the stadium that said, What's wrong is wrong in all caps. What's wrong is wrong. Now, what they're talking about now is, you know, racism or anti-vaxxing or whatever the things that, like the, the right wing is doing is wrong is wrong. But it's this, this moral dogmatism, right? Mm. So we don't need to explain why it's wrong. What's wrong is wrong. Now, what's interesting about that, fascinating about it, is even 15 years ago, that would have been a sentiment that they would have accused the right of having. Mm. Right of that kind of like moral dogmatism and you know a lack of nuance and a lack of understanding of, of context and differences, right? But now that's shifted to that's that is much more associated with the secular left than it is with the right. Now all of a sudden the right are the people talking about free speech and tolerance and understanding. Right? It's so weird. Mm. It's so weird the way that's flipped. But what what you're seeing is that they are now switching, right, from being in opposition to Christianity to being the dominant cult themselves, the dominant faith themselves, right? So now they enforce orthodoxy, right? Now they are going to enforce it. Um, and that, that's that's a, a very scary development, if you ask me. <laughs> I wish they would, Andrew, I wish they would just admit it. I, yeah. I, see, 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 I don't, I don't, I, I understand that, and we all understand <clears throat> that we have opponents to our worldview, let's say the secularists, the modernists. But what I what I hate about a, a fight, if you want to put it like that, at least be honest. Like I said, like, that's what I want to say. At least be honest that you are at, you are infinitely more dogmatic and doctrinal than the Catholic Church ever was. God that's has right. ten commandments. God has ten commandments. You people, you people have ten thousand. And you change them every day. <laughs> yeah. So I, we could go off on that for a long time. We're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. Fascinating conversation with Andrew Wilder Jones uh, in regards to his new book, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe Resinello. And this is such an important read because, in a sense, you're taking back the language and presenting a truth that people need to hear. And, and I want to get back to this lie, the myth that basically progress uh, lies with these progressive ideas. And this is something I've gotten into trouble with, uh, with regard to many of my exchanges with secularists, particularly around same-sex marriage. I always say this, a traditional idea of marriage, which by the way now in modern society, in, in, in like the bourgeois classes of cities like Seattle, like New York, like Chicago, you can't even say that. I always say this to people because it's like popping a bubble. It's a pervasive idea across the globe, everywhere. Go to Malaysia, go to not Madrid, but inside of Spain, go to South America, go to Africa, ask them what marriage is. They'll tell you. Yet they're putting this like it's a phantom, like as if like you're saying something insane. Talk to that a little bit. And that's why it's a myth. And that's why your book is so important. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say on that or the direction maybe I want to take it is that one of the ways that 
pagan power. So, so, so the basic framing of my book, right, is that is that the options, the fundamental options in, in, in social life are Christianity and paganism. <laughs> so, so if you if you if you uh, that Christianity saves us from paganism, that's the condition of humanity, right, before the coming of Christ, before Christianity. And, and and it produces something different, which is a Christian a Christian civilization. And the abandonment of Christianity is ultimately the return to paganism, and we don't have other options here. So what I what I would say in response to your comment there is that irrationality, okay, is 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 an aspect of how pagan regimes work, because pagan regimes rely upon fear, anxiety. Right? So the way in which they get obedience is instead of instead of the sort of obedience that a father has over a son, which is a loving sort of obedience, right? You obey your father because you love your father. You know your father has your intentions at heart, your good intentions, right? Your, he has good intentions for you, and so you obey him. What St. Thomas says is that paganism operates on a conception of servile obedience. You obey because you're afraid of the consequences. Right now, the way you produce that is by producing anxiety about the world, right? So the world doesn't make sense. The world is chaotic. Then these forces emerge who say, we bring order to the world, right? You do the things that we say and there will be order. You will be secure. You will be safe. And then they, <clears throat> the population or the masses then obey. The key aspect of that, though, is that the, the rationality of the mind, of the human mind, can't itself make sense of the world. Otherwise, there's a there's a source of order that comes from the bottom up, right? That we all have, that we all participate in. We don't have to rely upon the priests and the kings above us who are going to bring order into our world. So things like that, things like there are no such thing as men and women, things like up is down, down is up, right? Things like those those ideas are not. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, they're so insane. It's like, yeah, that's the point, right? The point is that rewards and punishments become tied, social rewards and punishments become tied to things that no rational person would conclude are good and bad in of themselves, right? That's the way in which the power structure is built. That's mm -hmm. the reason why when Christ, the, the, the truth sets you free, right? Because the, every human being is capable of participating in the truth directly and doesn't need some other power to mediate the truth to them. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, Andrew, along those lines about the truth, and I used to teach uh, the faith in an RCIA program, and what I would always say is this, God, the, the laws of God apply to you whether you acknowledge them or not. It's like gravity. You don't have to acknowledge gravity. It applies to you whether you acknowledge it or not. With that said, why is the incarnation the center of world history? And this applies to people who are religious or they're not religious. Please explain that to our listeners. Sure, sure. So, I mean, this actually goes back to what I was just saying about paganism. So the pagan world, right, is a world that doesn't have transcendence. And because of that, it's a world of, of human beings proposing themselves as gods, faking like they're gods, trying to act like they're gods. This is always a, a doomed project, so they ultimately fail. So human history before the incarnation is a history of the of cycles, of the rise of powers, the fall of power, the rise. And the pagans knew this. They talked about history as being the cyclical thing, right? You just go around and around in a big circle and nothing ever happens, right? But Christianity then, in the coming of Christ, the resurrection, the incarnation, stops that stops that in its tracks right because at this point we think about what happens at the crucifixion and the resurrection is that the power of the world is defeated right but it's not defeated through another power like it's not like it just is overwhelmed by a bigger army or something but what happens is the, the most powerful pagan regime in the world the roman empire throws everything it can have against a man right tortures and kills him he passes through that and comes out alive now, what that does, it comes out alive in the resurrection, right? Now, what that does is render the powers of the world impotent, right? It renders, so, so they can still torture us and kill us, but they can't ultimately defeat us, right? Now we, now we can be fearless. We can be bold. It's something that was impossible to the pagans in a lot of ways, right? Like the way you could be, the way you had to be bold was by raising a bigger army and conquering the guy who was oppressing you. Now we can pass through their oppression. 
and come out the other end. Well, that renders them powerless ultimately. And we get to see this with martyrs and the way the Roman Empire comes down is ultimately undone. But the whole social political world changes. The, the, the dominance of fear, in, so through Christianity, the power of fear is reduced. It becomes merely one power among many and not the only one, right? So we, be, we, 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 we become capable of building a world that is not, um, not this kind of cyclical cycle of, of the rise and fall of human powers. And so we actually get history again. And this is, and this is like, we know this, like we, we, everyone talks about history really beginning. You think about how strange it is that human beings, um, you know, have probably been on the planet for hundreds of thousands of years, but we talk about history beginning, right? And beginning like right in this ancient world that's preparing for Christ, the Hebrews, then the coming of Christ, then the ancient world of Roman. This is history, right? Like history is only 6,000 years old, right? So, and that's because now history has a direction. Right, like history is moving. It's not a cycle. It has a has a path to it, right? And and everyone recognizes that. That's the same. That's the same idea that underwrites the myth of progress, isn't it? That there's a direction to history, right? And that's that's a, a that is it retaining something of the Christian conception. Um, so it's this, it becomes the, the incarnation then becomes the center, this hinge where everything that happens before is leading up to it. Right, and everything that happens after is the implications of it, right? But the incarnation is the middle. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and what I find interesting is how man, you know, we look at the elites, the quote unquote elites of today, all very educated. They miss that. They miss the lessons of history. And they repeat themselves. I, I mean, I laugh because we live near New York. I read the New York Times periodically um, to keep up on things, uh, sadly. And uh, when I see the New York Times, I say, do you actually think that you are going to topple the Catholic Church? Do you actually think in your hubris, Barack Obama, that you are going to keep us within the boundaries of the walls of a church and we cannot practice our faith in the public square. We squash the Romans. We outlive the Nazis. You've learned nothing. Yeah. One, thing, one thing, Andrew, we say on the show all the time, and for those of you who are just joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, we're speaking with Andrew Willard-Jones, and we're discussing his new book, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics. Andrew, Joe and I say it all the time, are these people so... I don't know what the word is to describe them. Do they understand the power that Nero had? I'm talking about in terms of at that moment in history, how much power a Nero had or a Diocletian, or you come up to, let's say, modern times, how much power Joseph, Joseph Stalin had or Hitler or Mao. They, none of them were able to destroy the church. These people honestly think that they can do it. And, yeah, and no, I don't I, know what... I think, ahead, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's a part of... Uh, of what it means to be a, a pagan is to not understand these things. So, 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 th so they think they they must because they don't believe in the possibility of transcendence and of ultimate truth. I guess they they think that we're just another version of them, right? So, so it's like they they, they think that we're just that Christian Christianity is just another ideology, just another you know. So they so they categorize it in the same way they would look at any sort of religious group or any sort of ideological group or any sort of political structure. And they think, and so then it, it becomes something they think they can undo, but you're right. The, the lessons from history should show them, should so, show them otherwise, but it, it would require more than just history, right? It would require accepting the truth claims of Christianity, right? So, so, I mean, Christianity, I mean, yeah, we, 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 we outlive the Roman Empire. We, it's not just outliving it. We convert it, right? We, we beat it. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing yeah. people often forget, right? But it's not like it's not like when you look at the ancient world, you have this this like external invasion of Christians into the Roman Empire, and then the Roman Empire like resists for a while, and then ultimately, you no, know, the Roman Empire itself is where Christianity arises and then spreads, and ultimately the Romans convert, right? Like like so so we. Christianity undoes the Roman Empire from within, the pagan empire from within. Um, and that's hugely significant, right? Because you have to ask the question, if they were so powerful, the pagans, if they had so much philosophy and knowledge and art and beauty, why did they convert to Christianity, right? Why did they convert? And and the reason is, the real reason is because, because all of that structure they had built and saint augustine goes into all of this right like all of that was a sort of desperate attempt at 
at, at calming their 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 anxiety, their fear, their stress. So they they think we're scared. So maybe if we conquer the next people, we'll be less scared, right? Maybe if we build the next temple to the next god, we can we can get rid of some of our fear, right? Maybe if we and so this they have this ambition or this drive to grow and become bigger and to become more powerful. Then that is ultimately undone by a, a community of people that says, you know what, you don't need to do any of that to not be scared, right? Like you don't need to be scared because God is in control. God loves us. We have a way of having peace without the, the legions. We have a way of being happy without sacrificing our children to the gods, right? We don't have to do that. And that is what is what converts the empire. People see that. And then, and they go, oh, look at this. This, this is a real way of life that is different than our way of life, that is a happy way of life, that is a fulfilling way of life. And then, so there's people converting. At the same time as there's people converting, there's people who want to destroy that thing, right? And so they, they go after Christianity and they try to defeat it, but they try to kill them all and can't do it. They can't squash it. Why? Because the Christians are actually not afraid. So that, that positive thing, that society of peace, that society of, of love that's not filled with anxiety is the same reality that leads to the willingness to be murdered, right? Because you, you, you're not scared of death, just because you're not scared of anything. <laughs> There's a fearlessness in it, right? So it can't be destroyed. It can't be destroyed. Um, you can't eradicate it. Uh, I mean, you, you can't kill everyone. And, and, and so, and uh, this, this is the same situation we find ourselves now in, in, in that Christianity will win ultimately but it won't win because we build a bigger and more powerful government or a bigger and more powerful economy or a bigger and more powerful army. Right? That's not why we're going to win. Right? We're going to win because as paganism advances, people are going to become increasingly unhappy. You know, people are going to be, <laughs> go ahead. I, I think that what, what you're saying is so important, particularly for Americans as we're looking at what I hear in, in what you're saying, Andrew Willard Jones joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe is that, you, there, there are those who lack the sense of the transcendent on both sides. See, it transcends politics, right. because because you have, let's say, the materialist left, but you also have the materialist right. Right. And we, and we, we naturally, Joe and I, I don't know about you, Andrew. We, we I think, it'd be safe to say, you're probably more conservative. Okay, there's a little bit more of a natural fit, but here's the problem, and you mentioned it earlier. We've now come upon new idols. So if 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 you've if you had, let's say, pagans worshiping their false gods. Now you fast forward to the modern world, okay? And I'd love for you to see, we have a couple minutes before the break. Maybe we'll start this conversation and come back to it on the other side of the break. I wanna talk about the false idols that we set up in the modern world. Liberalism, socialism, communism. I mean, socialism and communism come to mind because Marx offered a theory of history, mm -hmm. but which lacked the transcendent, which is a materialist view of history, okay? Right. So talk about this idea that, you know, the same, those same people who say that, you know, there is no God and don't listen to that big, bad Catholic church. Well, they have their own idols too. Socialism, communism, liberalism. Forgive me, all you conservatives out there. Capitalism. Absolutely. We turn, we turn them into idols and that's a danger. Start talking about that, Andrew. I'll give you a little signal when we're ready for it. All right, sure, sure. So, you know what? I'm going to start with the conservatives because sometimes things that strike a little close to home is a good place to start with, right? So let's talk about the market. And this is really going to be provocative. <laughs> like, don't we don't we so often talk about the market as if it's alive? Okay, so the market has laws that it obeys. The market does things. The market is moving, and we have to treat it properly. And if we treat it properly, we will get rewarded with wealth. If we treat it improperly, we'll get punished. Okay? And so even within, and we and we have a whole class of sort of experts that are good at placating the market and doing the things that make the market happy so that we get rewarded. And so many of us treat that as if it's a power in the world that we have to serve, right? And we serve it, and then we get rewarded. Right? That's a god, right? So what you have to, that's all the pagan gods ever were. All the pagan gods ever were, were powers in society that you served and then were rewarded for serving them, right? And and they were always human beings. That's the only source of power, right? Like like, like the, mm -hmm. the power of the gods were always just the power of human beings. It was, it, that was, that was, uh, you know, sort of alienated from us and then turned against us. All right, so we can say the same sort of analysis for socialism. 
Andrew, let's. I, I want. We want to get on that. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the. This is a great conversation with Andrew Willard Jones, discussing his new book, The Two Cities: A History of Christian Politics. And we're not afraid to mix it up here at the Veritas Catholic Radio <laughs> Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network Radio mobile app so you can have access to all of our station's content. And don't go anywhere. We're going to come right back, and we're going to continue this very fascinating and important conversation. Stick around. Hey, you know about our Veritas shows, right? All five? It starts every Sunday at 5 p.m. with The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talk to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank. This is your chance to hear Bishop Frank Caggiano talk about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That's when you can hear It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. It's a late-night show on Catholic Radio, and Liv mixes faith with humor, games, and dynamic interviews. There's a double dose of shows on Friday. First, at noon, it's Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Then, at 12.30 on Fridays, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where Peter Sonsky puts the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We're with Andrew Willard-Jones joining us at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, talking about his new book, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics, uh, on the Veritas Catholic Network Radio uh, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Andrew, please continue on the conservatives. Um, <laughs> sometimes no, I mean, our friends need a little waking up. Okay, so let's 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 stay yeah, on, no, I mean, on we, the we idolatry of the market. The idolatry, the idolatry of, of the market, market, right? So the treatment of the market as if and and and, and, I, and now I'm gonna really make some people mad. But if you if you if you read someone like uh, someone who's a sort of classic of the conservative side of things, like Hayek, F. A. Hayek or something, in in the Road to Serfdom, he'll actually outright refer to it as if it's alive, and we have to submit to the power of the market. And if we submit to the powers of the market, then that'll be the best for us. Right? And he talked about which are you going to submit to the power of men or that. I mean, there's already that language of submission, it's submission to some power that's bigger and stronger than us, and, but that's not God. So that, that's idolatry, right? So what we have to realize, of course, is that the market is just us. It actually doesn't have any powers. It doesn't obey any laws. We do whatever it does. It's us. It's nothing but us, right? And so we don't, we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't, have to, you know, we don't have to worry about manipulating it or placating it. We just do the moral thing, do the right thing, and that's, that's what we should actually be doing, okay, in, in, in our work of God. Now, so we can get into I don't want to get into a whole like discussion of what that might look like economically, but the point is that there's an idolatry that's there. Similarly, uh, um, uh, you have the same sort of dynamic in socialism, right? Where you have the idea, I mean, true socialism, where you have the idea of the, of the of, say the class. So there's a march to history, and the class, which becomes the party, right, is an actor in history. And you and it is inevitable that this thing will win and it has the laws that it follows and you have to placate it and manipulate it and serve it in order to get the rewards that it promises you and if you fight it you get crushed you're just one little human being against this big powerful thing but it's not god well then what is it right is it, is it other human beings but it's not just other human beings right no it's is inevitable historical force paganism like what you're seeing are the gods. We don't call them gods anymore, right? And we don't call them gods anymore because of in history, when when Judaism and then Christianity declared the Lord God as the God, right? As the one God, the, the terminology became taken away from the pagans, right? Now we can't we can't call these things gods because we all have in our mind the God, the true God, right? And we're like, well, they're not like that. It's like, well, that's right. Never what the pagan gods were. The pagan gods were never little versions of Yahweh, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Andrew, uh, everything you say is absolutely true because the devil's smart. Uh, you know, like people think oh, yeah. that he's running around with uh, horns and a tail, you know, uh, yeah. 
idols are are not that way, you know, and people get sucked into things, um, sadly. I want to touch on what you said on the other side of the break with regard to people will turn to Christianity mm-hmm. because they're unhappy. Right. And this, <laughs> like ultimately, and I think that's the key. And while, as you were saying that, it reminded me of what Joseph Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, said in a radio address in 1969. He said a remnant will be left and it will become a beacon to the world that becomes very dark mm-hmm. and they will see the light from that beacon and things will start anew. I recently just finished Anthony Esselin's book out of ashes. And he echoes that in his final chapter. He says at the end of the book, what took you so long? That is how we ended it. What took you so long to see this, that your ways don't work. Right. And I say that all the time. Look out your window, look at your family, look at your friends, look at your neighbors who have bought into the lies that you address in your book. It doesn't work. Sorry, it doesn't work. Talk about that, how it'll change. It's at war with our nature. I mean, that's the thing is that, is that Christianity, oh, I mean, this is, this is an aspect of modernity, isn't it? That we imagine, we imagine Christianity or any religion, but Christianity as being something that's sort of added on top of who we are, right? So like, but, but that's not it. The, the, whole, the whole idea behind Christianity is that it comes into the very core of who we are and heals us as us, like in our totality, right? It heals the wounds that are within us and then elevates us beyond ourselves. So happiness becomes possible through Christianity. Christianity, it's not like you have a world that's capable of all this, this good stuff and good and basic happiness, and then you get this sort of bonus on top of it, which is Christianity, right? That's not the way Christianity understands itself at all. Christianity comes down into the very core. And so the solution to people's anxiety is that conversion to the truth, um, which is also, and this is one of the major themes of my work, is all is not an individual act, but it's a social act, right? So when when we convert into the truth, one of the things that happens is that we start building societies that are oriented into justice and to the truth, right? So we start building peaceful societies, happy societies. Um, and so conversion becomes a solution, not only in a sort of like retreatist individual sense. So it's not, because sometimes you get this idea among, among Christians right, that we just have to like retreat, retreat to our private life and convert. And there's some truth to that. But what's missing is that, that because we're social beings, that conversion, that spiritual action is always also a social one, which is the very heart of the, our conception of the church, isn't it? That we're ecclesial. Right, we're social in our faith, in our healing, our spiritual healing, um, and and the insight that of of the Catholic Church forever, and we've lost sight of this. I think in the second half of the 20th century, was that this social healing that Christianity brings encompasses all of what human beings are. So, so the political, the economic, whatever, all of it is in there. There's nothing that's out. There's nothing that's left out. Christianity is the total. Um, yeah, I think maybe maybe that's an answer to the question. Maybe I went off on a tangent there. No, like, no, no, great. no. no it's great. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, th- th- tell me what you think of this idea. Andrew Willard Jones joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe discussing his new book, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics. Do you see um, th- what with, Joe said, look out your window, okay? Yeah. We can look at pictures online of what's going on in San Francisco. So I think the word that comes to mind is chaos. Um, where you mentioned order earlier. Obviously, the right. Catholic worldview is that one of the as- attributes of God is God is order, the Logos, okay, the Logos incarnate, uh, as St. John called uh, our blessed Lord. Do you think that, or do you see that the idolaters, the progressives, the modernists, they want to spread chaos? When you look at, it. let's say, the, the, the wrecking of the family, the gender ideology, abortion, all of it, to sow chaos, but then to impose a new order on top of that's it. right yeah it's, yeah they need can it you talk about that a little bit yeah sure so so this goes again I, I i keep i pull everything back to the ancient world which maybe is tedious for some people but that's the way my mind works right so, so the ancient if you look at ancient paganism it understood the, the the original condition to be one of chaos 
right? So it's one of violence and chaos. And then the gods arrive and impose some sort of order upon chaos, right? And so that then becomes the basis of the cults in the priesthoods and the god kings. So these kings that present themselves as the sons of God, they're the ones who can mediate the order of these gods down into the population. But as soon as that's removed, chaos returns. So if Pharaoh doesn't do the things Pharaoh needs to do, the Nile won't flood, they'll starve, right? Like, so you, there, there becomes these, these um, systems of, of imposing order upon the world, but it's always false, it's a lie, right? It's a manipulation, it's a, it's a, it's a lie. And the chaos, the chaos though, is, is, is not false, but what it is, is um, artificial. Okay, so you create the chaos and then solve the chaos, right? This is, this is a tactic of pagan power, right? I mean, we have to understand that the pagans weren't just like, didn't have like a legitimate religion that was just different than Christianity, right? It's a mechanism of domination. These are slave states that these people are building, right? And right, so right. it's not like they're like, oh, they just didn't know yet about the truth. It's like, no, they, they, these are these are depraved, um, depraved social orders, right? And so when you when when the rebuilding of that has has inherent a cynicism in it, right? You 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 need to destroy sources of order that do not derive from the powers, right? So so friendship, family community these sorts of things are always dangerous right because they reveal to people who live in them that the world isn't in fact chaos the world isn't in fact terrifying right actually the world can be rather peaceful and calming and love and loving and safe right and you can't you, you those things are a threat to the construction of human power human like the construction of centralized human power needs the absence of that power to be terrifying to people Right, so that they submit to the power. Right. Right. Well, and so mm -hmm. that, so you become it becomes it's like you submit. It's like it's like it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, or it becomes a um, uh, like like the kind of ruse that maybe a mafia pulls, right? Where like you're you're charging protection money, but who you're protecting the people from is yourself, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> it's like if you do what we say, we won't hurt you. All right, 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 right. So you're, listening, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We are having a great conversation with Andrew Willard-Jones about his new book, um, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Racinello. Let's talk about Americanism because it presents, I think, an illusion <clears throat> to both Republicans and, and Democrats who basically prescribe to the Christian way of life. Let's go to the talking point of Jen Psaki. I'll circle back to you uh, later um, when she discusses Joe Biden, who is a devout Catholic. That's the talking point. Joe Biden is a devout Catholic. Right. In a sense, according to Americanism, he is. He is. I see this among, listen, I went to a Catholic school, Andrew. I grew up in an Italian-American neighborhood, a lot of Irish guys, a lot of Polish guys. Everyone's baptized. Right. I, go, I live on my street. Everyone's baptized. Not a soul goes to church. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm, I'm just opening my eyes and looking around. Once again, look out your window. Isn't that what where you cross around your neck, oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm a good man, and I'm going to heaven, and everyone I know is going to heaven. This is Americanism. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden is Catholic. That's uh, right. And, and <laughs> talk about this, because in a sense, it is a lie, and it's yeah. confusing, and, it, and to navigate through it, because again, not everyone reads encyclicals, not everyone has read the catechism, and frankly, we have many generations that haven't been catechized correctly and don't know what the faith actually teaches, because everyone goes to heaven, Andrew, and right. I carry my rosary beads in my pocket, and don't tell me I'm not Catholic, I'll shove them up your nose, as Joe Biden <laughs> would say. Talk to this, please. Well, how long has it been going on? I mean, for a long time, but, but let, let's just say since the second world war, just to make it easy, right? Where Christians in the United States and, and Catholics in particular, were always for a very long time, we're held in suspicion, right? Because why? Because we had an allegiance to something bigger than the nation, right? 
and 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 the, the, for a lot of people it was the vatican or whatever but the truth of the matter was this goes all the way back to john locke john locke says we should have religious toleration except for catholics right why because catholics believe that catholicism produces a social order and what we need and what liberalism requires is that religion is a private thing and not a social thing and so if catholicism is going to be a social thing in the mind of liberalism that makes it a political movement right and not a religion because they've defined religion as an individual internal reflective thing and not something that determines social order so what one of the things that i think happens is it, tragically is that in the united states as catholics attempted to become normal americans right we really wanted to be normal americans <laughs> and and what we did was adopt that conception of our own faith right that our faith has to do with our personal life with our reflective spiritual life our relationship with god all of which is true it's just not merely that right it's that plus it's social order it's community it's the way in which we live well that part of it we set aside because that's not the way the protestants were doing it right that's not the way americans do it our social order is determined by the market and the, and the politics and the republic right and these other systems these other systems of order other than those that flow out of the catholic church so i think we internalize the fact that we could be normal americans by making our religion a normal american religion and the tragedy of that is that once you become, once you try, once you, you, you establish the normal, whatever is normal as your measure for success, right? Then when the normal changes, you change along with it, right? So like there may have been some validity to that in 1953, right? Like it may, there may have been like what was normal still had a, a, a deep Christian undertone or deep Christian order to it. But once you, you, you become, once being normal is your objective, when the normal shifts, you shift with it, right? Yeah. Do you, how much, within, I, I hope I have my history correct here, um, Andrew, within about 15, 10 to 15 years, the way I see it, there was two, two things that happened. One was Paul Blanchard wrote a book. Catholic power and Amer uh, Catholic power and American freedom, I, I believe. Right? You talked about, in other words, the Protestant view versus the Catholic view. Um, and then John F. Kennedy, 10 years later or 12 years later, goes down to Texas and says, don't worry, and to a bunch yeah. of Protestants says, don't worry, I'm not going to be that Catholic. In fact, right. I'm not going to govern at all as a Catholic. To me, you have one which was a direct attack on, let's say, what I think historically is correct was an ascendancy of Catholicism in America, authentic Catholicism, particularly in urban areas. Joe mentioned uh, Polish, Irish, Italian, but they were all Catholic and they had power. They had power. Paul Blanchard comes along and says that's, that's something to be fearful of. Then you get the Catholic president that says, I'm not going to actually govern as a Catholic. Am I wrong in that? And, no, and, I, think that's, and, I think that's right. I think that's right. And 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 then that's being, of course, combined with um, the post-war situation, right? Where, where, and I don't want this to come across as cynical, but I, I'm just trying to make it a, a historical analysis, right? That we went off and fought that war all together in a unity against evil. Like this is the way we thought of ourselves doing it, right? Like uh, we are the moral, God-fearing. Christian people fighting against evil in Europe, right, or in, 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 in the Pacific. And then when we come back from that and all that, those guys coming back and all the sacrifices that were made, the idea that what identifies us as good Americans is not being Catholic or being Protestant or being Jewish, but rather being hardworking and church going and, you know, whatever, like this whole sort of system of moral code that included we included some sort of religious observance, right? But that moral code, which I think in itself was good and, and included religious observance, the religious observance was no longer the foundations of that moral code. It was just a component of it. You see what I'm trying to, to yes. say? And so then the, that then very quickly go from the 50s into the 60s into the 70s, that moral code, that thing that we were supposed to be changes and one of the things that that tends to fall out is that religious observance side and most of us went along with it right. right like most of us at that point had gone along with it and i don't think it's nefarious in the beginning but i think it becomes that there's a there's a error in the beginning 
right, that we didn't all see. And then, and then you see the fruit of that over the decades of the second half of the 20th century. You know, You're listening I mean, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello with Andrew Willard-Jones discussing his new book, uh, The Two Cities, A History of Christian Politics on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe Racinello, what do you got to say? Now, basically, um, we're talking about a departure <clears throat> from our Christian roots. I mean, uh, in, in all the things we just discussed um, previously. I was recently in a rectory near my home. I live in uh, Southern Bern County, New Jersey, which is 10 miles outside of New York City. And there was a black and white picture of the church on a Sunday. Everyone's in a suit. It's packed wall to wall. I'm assuming probably from the 40s, the 30s, or the 50s. Right. It's a guess, <clears throat> but it's probably an accurate one. I go to church on Sunday now sparsely populated building um no one's dressed not i'm not pointing fingers again i'm just making observations i don't wear a suit so i'm i'm just you know i'm not pointing fingers how do we return to these roots i mean we've talked about problems let's talk solutions how does the american catholic church return to those roots because frankly i think if we do return the country will improve and will go in a better direction and it will have a clarity that it lacks currently please talk about that because it's it's apparent the difference yeah i mean i i i'm, a, I'm maybe a little bit of a radical minded guy but i think that that's I why we that, love you andrew by the way <laughs> i think <that laughs> we have to we have to be willing to be weird this is something that this is something that Ratzinger says in uh, Joseph Ratzinger says in his interview he gave back in the eighties. Um, anyway, I, I, where he says the courage to be abnormal, right? The courage to stand out, the courage to suffer because you're weird, right? This is this is all the courage that it reaches its culmination in martyrdom. But most of the time it doesn't get to that. Right? Most of the time the martyrdom is just think strange. There's a braveness or a courage, a fearlessness. I, and I really, I really think that that fearlessness is the social mark of Christianity, historically speaking. And we've lost that to the point where, I don't want to, I'm going to sound super negative here, but you see in many of our churches the opposite. They seem to be the most fearful very often, don't they? They seem to be cowering. They seem to be, <laughs> and it's like, no, there's, a, there's the, I think the boldness of Christianity um, the, the sort of standing tall and suffering whatever the world throws at you, right? That that, not only is that the path to our own happiness, but I honestly think that's the thing that will turn heads. That will be like, wow, what are these guys up to? Well, think of it, think of it this way, Andrew. If, if I'm, a let's say, a pagan Roman citizen, all right, after the death, uh, passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, and I'm looking at these people who call themselves followers of the way, all right, and let's say I have power, and I say, right. well, these people, you know, let's, 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 we'll, 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 we won't be so harsh. We'll kill 10 of them in front of a hundred of them. And then the right. other hundred will go running away. And, 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 and that'll be the end of that. So we'll sacrifice 10. In the meantime, they kill 10 people. The other hundred will say, well, I'm next. That's weird. Very weird. That's weird to, a, to, to not <laughs> only a pagan, a Roman. Okay. But also to modern sensibilities and the modern paganism. That's weird. Why are those people still standing there? Right. Because they don't have what you have and what's at the core of your soul, which is that fear that Andrew Willard Jones is discussing here. We don't yeah. have, we don't have, we're, look, am I the bravest, the Lord's bravest creature? Absolutely not, okay? But do I, do I live my day in fear? Do you, does Joe Racinello and all the good people, the Veritas Catholic Network? No, at the end of the day, the Lord's gonna take me when he's gonna take me. I don't fear. These people, I fear what they could do to my friends. I fear what they could do to my family. I have that concern about it, okay? But we don't live in fear. We don't cower. And I think that's a very important thing that you said that. We can't be in our churches cowering. We have to be that, that have that bold weirdness about it. That That's what has defined us up and down history I think under the right. thumb of the totalitarians. That's right. So what will happen? What, you know, the, the question is, what do we, how do we, get people back, right? How do we change the society again? Well, I think what's going to have to happen is a reform, 
right? And a reform, and I'm not talking about just like an institutional reform, I'm talking about a, like, a, like reform in its actual root of the word, right? Like a reforming, like a, like a, a realizing again who we are, right? And, and, and then a, a standing forth as that, as that thing. Now that will carry the institution with it, right? So what do we need to do? We need to stop being scared of, I mean, I'm provocative here, but we need to stop being scared of losing all the stuff. Like, 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 let's not be scared that they're going to shut our school down. Let's just do the right thing. And if they shut it down, we stand tall. Let's just do the right thing. And if they come after this or that, we just, we, we, we stand there and resist. Right? <laughs> no, but the point is that then it's like, they're going to do what they're going to do. Let's not try to cower and conform and figure out how to placate. Let's stand up and that will attract people. Because people, other people don't like being scared of them either. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that's yeah, not. No, no. You're Absolutely right. Absolutely agree. Dr. Absolutely Bergsma, agree. who's also affiliated with the St. Paul Center, said the same thing. We have to be willing to risk everything. Right. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> but this is what I've learned through that in my own life. Christ works in the space of sacrifice. When we do that, he always rewards you. That's he right. always does. You see, we're afraid to step into that space. How do we step into that space? This is my ideas, and please, both of you, comment on it if you disagree. When Jesus was about to die, <clears throat> what did he do? He prayed. We go back to the rosary. I always say this when I used to teach. Jesus prayed. Jesus stayed. The apostles slept. They ran. We have to pray. All strength and courage come from prayer. It comes from living a sacramental life. When you trust in God, like, listen, as Joe said, I got a family. I get fired in plain English right. for saying the craziness that I say. And believe me, I'm weird, Andrew. <laughs> I'm as weird as it gets in many people's eyes. I trust God will provide. I really do. I'm trying my best. I don't do it perfectly. He'll provide. That's what's lacking. Let's talk about it. We got to get back to prayer. Absolutely. There's no substitution for it. The saints are unanimous on this, aren't they? I mean, like, like that, that prayer is the way in which you're formed as a Christian. That's how you, <laughs> it's like, if you're not praying, you're not, yeah, you haven't done it. <laughs> if you're not praying, it's an ideology, isn't it? It's just another ideology. And, um, it's just another intellectual system and it's not actually because the, the whole the whole power of christianity is that is is in the in, in the in the internal formation so it's not that that you think about the power of of a, of a virtuous man right the power that he has because not only is he fearless but he's in control right and all of his powers are available um all of his capabilities available for deployment Right to deploy in the struggle, whatever the struggle is, but you only achieve virtue through prayer. Right? That's totally different than the sort of power that a slave has, who just obeys because he's scared of being whipped or whatever. Like the power of virtue, the power of holiness is immense. Um, and so, without prayer, so if we're talking about politics, I'm always talking about politics. But if you're talking about politics, it's hopeless without that first piece, the power of prayer, the power of the sacraments. Right? That's exactly what makes our victory in the political world. Yeah, I, I, I can't see fighting, whether it's whether it's the spiritual battle. I mean, we talked about history. Um, Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 419, offers a theory of history. All of man's history is a dour combat between man and the forces of evil. Right. And you're, I mean, I mean, I don't, people say, well, you could fit history into any, um, any theory. Like, so Marx had his, it's just a doubt, or Hegel had his. No, it seems to me that that's the perfect definition of history. And right. Joe's right, and you're right about prayer. In other words, like, I look at it this way. Again, I'm going to say the same thing. I am not one of the Lord's most courageous men. I'm just not, okay? But if I didn't pray, I wouldn't be doing this. And this is just an example. We're just trying to live a a, a life that conforms to the, Catholic, the teachings of the Catholic Church and Jesus Christ, um, and, and, and then get out there and fight this battle. I and mean, what are we really fighting? We're fighting against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're trying to convince people, listen, if they tell you the Catholic Church wants to make you into a slave, get it through your head, as Bob Dylan said. You're going to serve somebody. Don't think you're free. 
Okay, you're going to yeah. serve God and you're going to serve the devil, but you're going to serve somebody. People need to get that through their head. Just with about a minute left, Andrew, just talk about this idea of being truly, if you want to be free, you need to become a servant of God. Yeah, well, I mean, a servant to be a, to be the servant of God. What God, what God commands you to do is be yourself. <laughs> so what God does, I mean, it is actually freedom. It's actually collapsing the, the the dichotomy, right, between between being a servant and being free, because the 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 commands of God is your liberation, because it's the completion of your nature. It's the movement of you into into what it is that you're actually after. Right. So like the, the, the person who's desperately grasping after happiness, after fulfillment, thinks he's free as he randomly chooses means to that end and none of them really work. Right. But if you're actually ordered towards the completion of your end, you're actually ordered towards happiness. You're actually ordered towards seeing the face of God, which is what the commands of God, that's all they do. That is freedom. Mm -hmm. We're going to have Andrew Willer Jones. We're going to have to leave it there. Please tell people, tell our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network where they can buy your book. Yeah, so it's published by Emmaus Road Publishing. You can go uh, to uh, their website, Emmaus Road Publishing. It's also the St. Paul Center. So St. Paul um, Center.com, I think, is the website. You can get it there. Um, of course, Amazon and anywhere else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the book is The Two Cities. A history of Christian politics. Andrew Willard Jones, we want to thank you for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, and thank all of you out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network for joining us. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. Remember, we are 1350 AM, and we are spreading the Catholic truth to the New York City metropolitan area. Also, remember, if you would, to follow Joe and I on social media, Facebook, YouTube, until they shut us down, of course. But up to that point, please like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.